This is a presentation of the Pitch Podcast Network. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Streetwise Podcast. I am your host, Brock Wilbur. I'm the editor-in-chief at The Pitch in Kansas City. This is The Pitch Podcast from The Pitch Podcast Network. Again named Streetwise, I'm Brock Wilbur. How are you all today? It has been raining. I enjoy the rain. I do not enjoy when the rain stops and it gets hot and then becomes muggy and you can't breathe outside. It's not my favorite thing. But then the rain comes back. We're back in the cycle. My parents live about three hours west of me. Uh, and, uh, lately they've been like, okay, we're going down to the basement, tornado time. And I realized that in three hours or so, that same storm is going to get to me. So it's, it's always a fun, uh, weather warning, uh, from the parents going underground. Uh, I have been eagerly awaiting the first time we have a true tornado warning over my part of town because I'm not sure how we get three cats and a dog into our tiny basement, uh, nor how we round them up or get them to agree to this. This Noah's Ark situation, uh, I'm very concerned, very concerned about what that might be and what it will look like one day. Um, So this week, uh, coming up over Memorial Day weekend, uh, we are experiencing the centennial anniversary of the Tulsa Race Massacre of 1921. Uh, wherein um, a thriving black community known as Black Wall Street uh, was exterminated uh, by the people of Tulsa. Um, The really fascinating part about this is that no one uh, that I know had really heard of it. Um, I I had because I spent a lot of time growing up in the Midwest studying stuff that we'd done really wrong, uh, and I don't think that other uh, high school students had the same uh, call to, uh, to to action on uh, wanting to find out what we should be apologizing for. Um, but a lot of my friends found out about uh, this event for the first time via the, ni- the 2019 television show on HBO, uh, Watchmen, uh, which is based around the idea that um, what if following that, uh, America had given the black population of Tulsa reparation money Uh, And then Tulsa had become a thriving black community once again and what that would look like and how that would affect the country. So it is it is always fascinating to me that uh, so many people found out about this terrible part of American history via a prestige uh, limited series on HBO about superheroes. There's that. But also there are a lot of people in Tulsa that never knew about this because years and years ago, Tulsa went back and they took it out of history. They removed microfiche from the libraries. They destroyed mentions of it in textbooks. So there are a lot of people there that never had any idea that this happened. Um, And so it it sort of means that here on the 100th uh, anniversary, there's several documentaries coming out. There's a lot of uh, talks being being had. And there's um, PBS has a documentary. Uh, I got to watch an early screener of it. It's fascinating. And it traces everything from Tulsa to how that leads us to what happened with George Floyd. Uh, Really incredible piece of work. And I was going to try to pair the discussion of of this difficult thing with a bit of like self-care, mental health stuff, try to do something that's that's bleak and say, you know, we should we should do that. And, 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 you know, but also take care of yourself with with this piece of advice. And I don't think that 
those need to get paired together. I, I think that actually this is a really important time to focus on, on, on what we're dealing with here uh, and what the future looks like and to not be distracted by anything. The cutesy part of trying to do some self-care to make yourself feel better about it, I, I don't think anyone should do that. I think that we should feel exceptionally bad about not only what happened, but how we've managed to pretend it away for almost a hundred years. Um, so a big weekend to uh, to reflect, to think about what we've done. Uh, Kansas City has done similar things in our history. Uh, we there's a, there's an article we have coming out Monday uh, along with the Centennial, uh, where we dive into some things, including how we had thriving black communities, and then we just would announce that we were building a highway or an interstate on top of where they were. And that's, that's why they had to be demolished. Uh, and that's also one of the reasons that like Kansas city's infrastructure, uh, is a giant series of highways that don't seem to make any sense in terms of how they connect. Uh, and we'll be paying the price with that crumbling infrastructure bill for the rest of our existence. So it's everywhere. Uh, and it is, it is worth reflecting on and Kansas city, probably needs to do a much better job where we're next to do this sort of reckoning. And um, I think watching what happens in Tulsa will help us set the tone and the outline for how one deals uh, with the with the crimes of the past. Um, so, yeah, that, that's my recommendation. Recommendation this weekend is to um, invest some time, uh, learn in what happened here uh, and uh, and think about what that means about us as people about what it means to be Americans, uh, and about what it means, uh, to change ourselves moving forward. Um, so there's that, uh, I'll make it cheery here. Uh, let's turn it over to Nick's music corner. Hello, I'm Nick Spacek, music editor for The Pitch, here with this week's local music recommendation. Slipping quietly onto Bandcamp earlier this week was the album Sleep 2020, the debut release from Kansas City's Sop Choppy. The hard-rocking, blues-influenced four-piece is the latest project fronted by the legendary singer and harmonica virtuoso Ernie Locke, he of Sin City Disciples, Tenderloin, and Parlay fame, and their new album is 11 tracks of rock and roll suitable for whiskey doubles and PBR tallboys. While 10 of the tracks are new compositions, Sop Choppy also does an excellent version of Tenderloin's Supernatural Baloney from that Locke-fronted band's 1994 album Let It Leak. It's a little more slowed down, but just as nasty and no less effective for it as Adam Hale's bass work on this one will damn near pummel you. It's so heavy. Sop Choppy plays Lemonade Park this Friday, May 21st, opening for the Almighty Trouble Brothers and Freight Train Rabbit Killer in what's sure to be a very loud, very sweaty night. You can snag Sleep 2020 at S-O-P-C-H-O-P-P-Y dot bandcamp dot com. That is sopchoppy dot bandcamp dot com. Here's Supernatural Baloney.
thank you, Nick. Uh, today's episode is brought to you by Worlds of Fun. Worlds of Fun is now taking applications for all positions, including ride operators, lifeguards, cashiers, cooks, and bartenders. All positions come with competitive pay, paid training, and best of all, free admission. Um, we just hired somebody who actually had to then retract their application from Worlds of Fun. Um, they're very happy to be coming to work at the pitch, but also I, I, I know that they are going to miss that opportunity for free admission. Uh, pitch employment does not come with admission to anywhere that you would consider a world of fun. Uh, so that's a choice, but also uh, I think it shows that uh, lots of people in this community are looking for work uh, and you could do a lot worse than the happiest place on earth. Is that a tagline that somebody else has? Probably not. Leadership positions are available. Working at Worlds of Fun means you will receive worlds of friends, worlds of flexibility, and worlds of experience. Literally, it's worlds of fun. Get a head start now on your worlds of opportunity. Apply at worldsoffun.jobs or text FUN to 97211. That's worldsoffun.jobs or text FUN to 97211. Uh, we have a reading today of an article from one of our magazines. Uh, our friend Jason from Stolen Dress Entertainment uh, is reading Relatively Speaking by Emily Cox. Here it goes. Relatively Speaking, Whitehawk's Kemper Exhibit is a Rejection of Indigenous Annihilation by Emily Cox. Everything here is formed in relation to every other living and non-living thing from the earth. All our relations. There, there by Tommy Orange. Diani Whitehawk's work is a declaration of those relationships. The objects created by hands, the words spoken by mouths, the patterns passed down by generations, the new materials alongside the old, the strength in relationship between those who have survived genocide, the relationship to the generations yet to come. She illuminates this web of relatives. Whitehawk, Sichangu Lakota, is a contemporary artist and curator based in Minneapolis. Her solo exhibition, Speaking to Relatives, is currently on view at the Kemper Museum of Contemporary Art through May 16th. She transcribes historical imagery into modern forms and contexts, using painting, sculpture, photography, and video installation. Whitehawk uses both abstract forms and representational imagery in calling up collective history and present. The abstract expressionists that dominated the mid-20th century art world purported to express some pure universal truth. They were often inspired by, that is, they appropriated from, indigenous artists whose work was simultaneously derided as decorative. While the paintings of Pollock, de Kooning, and the like were treated as apolitical and ahistorical, nothing ever truly is. While the Abex crew thought they were rising above autobiography, their work still tells the story of theft and supremacy. Whitehawk's Stealing Horses Back cuts sharp contrasting columns of black and white beads that give way to boldly colored geometric patterns at the bottom of the canvas. The title of the piece feels like a fuck you that also points to the reclamation of form, of art, of place. Whitehawk picks up abstract meditations on form without dropping the historical context within which she is creating work. Her colors, shapes, textures, and patterns are drawing on materials and the visual vocabulary of native histories. She embraces the forms created by indigenous women that were once, and at times still are, dismissed as lesser. Chante Scuye, Sweetheart, is a painting of the two pairs of moccasins, nearly abstracted by the large scale and focus on detail. Set against a bright blue background, she brings full attention to the intricate patterns and colors stitched into these shoes. With the Sweetheart of the title, 
and the two pairs nestled together like a couple, she emphasizes connection and relationship. Her work puts the patterns, styles, and materials of indigenous art craft at the fore. She centers and celebrates the creative work that was not just the work of her ancestors, but which remains alive and evolving in the present. Commanding the center of the gallery is a photographic work suspended from the ceiling. I am your relative. Six indigenous women stand wearing black t-shirts and brightly colored and patterned skirts. Across their shirts reads a collective message. I am more than your desire, more than your fantasy, more than a mascot. Ancestral love, prayer, sacrifice. Your relative. On the reverse of these life-size photos, the back of the women's shirts list which nations from which they hail, including Dine, Anishinaabe, Kachan, and more. The presence of these women is a force in the room. This is an artwork whose meaning and impact requires seeing it in person. Just reading the sentence on their shirts is not the point. They are here, taking up space, speaking collectively, and calling the viewer in as family. I am your relative, they say. Standing in the gallery, with your sisters speaking before you, you are compelled to listen. Surrounding I Am Your Relative are eight screens playing videos of indigenous women speaking their mother tongues. The space is filled softly with their voices overlapping. This video installation, Listen, immerses viewers in the sounds of the languages native to the land we are living on. The wall text asks, How many languages can you identify by sound? While most of us can identify languages like Russian, French, Chinese, we cannot differentiate between Yupik and Cherokee, Seneca and Kiowa. Through genocide and cultural erasure, current inhabitants of this continent are generally disconnected from languages indigenous to it. Listen aims to chip away at one of the biggest challenges facing Native people, the tremendous lack of knowledge among the American public regarding Native people, history, and our contemporary tribal nations, the wall text reads. Because the full national history of this land is not taught in our public education systems, most Americans are largely oblivious to the history and contemporary realities of Native people. Listen names the viewer's obliviousness and challenges us to do something about it. Will we allow ourselves to remain ignorant? While the installation itself invites the viewer to expand our awareness, there is an implicit call for the viewer to do the work of self-education beyond the confines of the gallery as well. In each video, a woman speaks in her language, standing on land to which she is indigenous, interspersed with beautiful shots of that land, trees, grasses, butterflies. They are sharing stories and experiences, but there are no subtitles. The viewer is immersed in the language itself, its sounds. It's a powerful, counterintuitive artistic choice. If we were reading the subtitles, we wouldn't really be listening to their voices. Without subtitles, without understanding specific meanings, viewers must tune into details. Hearing the cadence of their voice, the sounds of their particular combinations of consonants and vowels, the visual power of knowing they sit on their ancestral land. There were once 300 languages spoken on the land that is now the United States. 175 are still spoken, though many of those are at serious risk of being lost. This installation is a gift. It felt a privilege to hear languages like Kokpa and Ho-Chunk that I had not heard before. Whitehawk also points out to the silencing of native art practices in her Carrie series, a collection of sculptures of tobacco bags and ladled vessels in the style of those that would be used in ceremonies, except here they are oversized and non-functional. She nods to the treatment of native arts as strictly utilitarian. What happens when utility is taken away, when she makes them unusable? She interrogates how indigenous arts have appeared in cultural institutions, 
typically as functional arts, separate from fine arts. Why can these sculptures be treated as fine art, while a traditional beaded tobacco bag is not treated as such? Is fine art defined by its lack of utility? You've probably seen beaded tobacco bags in a museum before, but probably in a stuffy cultural wing displaying Native American works from the 19th century. Segregated and relegated to an artifact of days gone by, Whitehawk's work emphasizes a living culture, worthy of the largest gallery in the museum. Choosing to make these sculptural vessels oversized, they command space, they stand high, you have to look up at them, move your body around them. They are literally elevated, appearing to hover in the air on their own strips of sinew. The bright bead patterns and shiny metals feel joyous and celebratory. When you're under the thumb of oppression, the creation of beautiful objects is an essential resistance through pleasure. That pleasure and celebration of connection, of relation, of communal culture, is the glowing thread running through this show encompassing ten years of Whitehawk's work. This show is about presence, about not just the survival of genocide, but creation that comes in the wake of that survival. It is a declaration of space, of place and culture, history, and collective consciousness. It is a rejection of erasure, a dialogue through time. Ladies and gentlemen, that has been the Streetwise Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We are an extension of The Pitch in Kansas City. Please check out all the excellent work we are doing at thepitchkc.com. Uh, please take care of yourselves this weekend. Please get vaccinated. Go Chiefs. Uh, rock and roll. Bye, 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 bye. This was a production of the Pitch Podcast Network. The Pitch is Kansas City's independent source for news and culture. Check out thepitchkc.com to see more podcasts from us, including information for how to subscribe to The Pitch or become a sustaining member. Story ideas or feedback? Write to tips at thepitchkc.com. Pitch in and we'll make it through.